And welcome back to the Yes Longevity Podcast, where we give you information on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. We just have two items on our housekeeping for today. Number one, we have expanded our stretch class in our schedule, so we're now offering it on Tuesday nights at 4.30. Stretch is not really a great name for the class. We don't really know what to call the class, but what we do is we take the joint through its full range of motion, and then we try to, well, no other joint is being moved, while we also try to increase the strength of that joint and its full range of motion. It's nothing like anything you've done before or out there, so why don't you swing by and try it out, check it out. Uh, I think you will enjoy it, and um, it'll be a little bit of a workout, so it's not just a relaxing stretch-type class. So. And second, we've got coming up to the final days of signing up for our Fit and 42 program. It starts on the 16th. Again, Fit and 42 is an all-encompassing program that helps the people not just lose fats, not just lose inches, but really change their lives and in a way, in a capacity that they're able to maintain what they've been able to lose, continue to lose, and make other changes in their life in a very positive way. So we've only got a few days left, a few spots left, so give us a call. 860-673-4293. Stop by, shoot us a message on Facebook, whatever you feel comfortable with contacting us, but we only have a few spots left for this program. So it's Monday the 16th. So what I'd like to talk about today is um, some new information I just learned. Um, one of our key core values is to always to continue to learn and improve and to stay on top of the industry. So I recently got back from the Perform Better Summit. It was a one, two, three, four, four-day summit out in Providence, Rhode Island. It's one that I really enjoy going to because um, not only do you sit through lectures, but the most of the presenters are required to do a hands-on in conjunction with their lecture. So whatever you've learned in the lecture, you can uh, learn how to put to use right away. So you can come back and use that information in your facility on Monday morning. So I have some information. This isn't all of it. This is just information that I thought that you know the general population could utilize. There's a lot more information that we got out of the four days that we use in our coaching, in the coaching center, in running our business, but not stuff that necessarily the general population can use. So I want to go through some things here that I think uh, you might feel find interesting, you might be able to put into your programs, and uh, make some changes for the better. So first we're going to start off with standing on an unstable surface does not improve core strength. All does is improve your ability to do that task. So what does that mean? All these years where people have been standing on BOSUs or trying to balance on stability balls or different pads or unstable surfaces while performing an exercise, they thought they were improving their core strength. When in actuality, they are not improving their core strength. All they're doing is improving the ability to perform that particular task. Um, we haven't done that type of training here in quite some time now. Uh, we didn't find it beneficial for what we were trying to accomplish, and it 
turns out to be true to the fact that it doesn't improve core strength. So if you're standing out of both BOSU, if you're um, you know standing on some type of un unstable surface, doing exercises while on the ball, you're not improving your core strength. All you're doing is get better at that task. So you might want to make that change if you program if you are doing those type of exercises. Or I don't know, maybe you want to be able to have the ability to stand out of the stability ball doing overhead press. I don't know if that's what you want to do. That's fine, but um, you're not improving your core strength. So that's number one. Number two, something that came down to the nutrition aspect of this. Um, keep in mind that your body works as a thermostat. It, it adapts and then it reacts. So it takes your body about four days to really adapt to the changes that you're making, especially when you're eating. So what does that mean? Your metabolism does change a little bit when you eat. Um, certainly the thermal energy uh, effect occurs that when you eat, you turn your metabolism on and it helps metabolize those foods. And um, the heavier you are, the faster your metabolism kind of is, but we want to take a look at it in a short-term capacity for like if we're eating over a Thanksgiving holiday. We always urge our clients to eat and enjoy Thanksgiving. We believe in having some splurges in our nutrition, planned splurges. And if we've been eating in the correct portion sizes, we're probably not going to be able to splurge too much extra. So those few extra calories that you're going to put on, you're going to put in your body are not going to force you to gain weight. Uh, if anything, it might be some water weight because you might be eating some foods that you don't normally eat. But it takes four days for your body really to change, that thermostat to change. So go ahead, enjoy yourself sometimes. It's important both physically and mentally to get back out to your nutrition. But we're going to stay on this nutrition topic here a little bit, that um, short-term diets all work, but no long-term diets work. They did a meta-analysis on diets, and it shows that up to 23, pardon me, up to two-thirds of the people who diet gained all the way back and then more. So let me just say that again. They did a meta-analysis. What is a meta-analysis? They take a look at a group of studies, not just one study, a large selection of studies. And it showed that, yeah, all diets work, but most long-term diets don't work that up to two-thirds of the people who lost weight on the diet gained all that weight back and more. So it's really not a very successful thing to do. One reason why this is, it takes about, the body will only stay at a caloric deficit for about 16 weeks. After about 16 weeks, the body says, no, wait a minute here, this is not going to work anymore. It stalls. And it's really hard to maintain a caloric deficit for 16 weeks. That means the amount of calories you need, you're going to take in fewer calories that you need to maintain your weight. It's very difficult for anyone who's tried it. And we've seen it ourselves here, that if we want a short-term challenge, a four-week, six weeks, or an eight-week challenge, and there's a caloric deficit involved in that challenge, and people have made changes, that when they're done with that and they try to continue on with the same type of program, whatever we were doing, nutrition, exercise, whatever it is, they have a difficult time continuing to make change. 
after that, that time period because your body just says, no, I don't want to do this. I need the calories. I, I, I don't like this caloric deficit. So one suggestion is that if you've run a short-term program or if you've died at a for a short period of time, that you begin to cycle how often you are at a caloric deficit. Suggestion was that you will cycle for two weeks with a caloric deficit and then come back to two weeks of your maintenance amount of calories. So what would that mean? Let's say it takes 1,800 calories for you to maintain your weight. So for two weeks, you might bring it down to 13 or 1,400 calories. And then for two weeks, you come back up to 1,800 calories and cycle back and forth like that. So it does a couple of things for you, okay? Number one, it's going to help you mentally because it's extremely difficult to maintain a caloric deficit for a long period of time. And we just said that it, the body won't let you do it for more than 16 weeks. Two, you're going to feel better, more satisfied coming off on that and coming back and going off and back like that. Oftentimes, we'll see people come back from vacation and they'll kickstart and start to lose fat again because they took that week and they thought they ate a lot, a lot more, a lot. They probably didn't really eat that much more. And the body kind of leveled off again, that thermostat adapted, and now you go and kick it back in again. So this suggestion for you. If you're going to try to do a caloric deficit, don't try to do it for too long. Do it for a few weeks and get back to a maintenance number. Calories are difficult to count anyway, but if you can figure out a way to get to a caloric deficit and a way to find a maintenance level, that's something you might want to try to do. The next topic that um, was talked about was the topic of overtraining. and Overtraining really should be thought of not as overtraining, but as under-recovery. So the people that go out and they train every single day, five, six, seven, eight days a week, they think they're doing the body good by doing that. But in essence, what's happening is the body is not recovering. And the first place that we see an effect of under-training is physiologically. Physiologically, that happens. We don't know it yet, but physiologically, we're not getting enough recovery. Next, psychologically. And third, performance. So if you're finding that you're not lifting as much or you're not running as fast, not running as much, you're just finding uh, a decrease in your performance, you've been overtraining for some time. You've been under recovery. You haven't been allowing your body to recover. What happens when you exercise is, I don't have a graph here. I thought I had brought a graph, but I didn't bring it with me. Um, it's what called, um, when you exercise, your body will actually have damage done to it. And then when it recovers, it comes back over the line of homeostasis and you get some gains. So each time you damage and you recover and come up, you start to begin to get some gains from the work that you've done. When you never allow your body to recover, when you go down, you never hit back to that level of homeostasis where you make gains. You come down and then you come back under here and then you go here and under like this. You never get back to that level and you never make any gains. It was a poor demonstration. 
Um, but just believe me, recovery is extremely important. If you're going to be doing something, take some active recovery days. Take some days where you're just doing some stretching, but you need to recover. Okay? Training every single day is not good for your body. So overtraining needs to be thought of as under recovery as much as it needs to be thought of overtraining. Sleep is always, you know, a big topic these days. And sleep and nutrition be, should be thought of as pre-recovery. We know nutrition is real important pre and post-workout. Um, we know that sleep is real important. We know all the different things that happens to the body when we don't get enough sleep. So a few things that were pointed out, maybe some things we know already, but sleep deprivation increases cortisol. You've heard that before. Cortisol can help control your blood sugar levels. It regulates your metabolism. It helps reduce inflammation. And it insists in memory formation. Um, if yeah, it also can, you know, I've got to say, also can regulate salt and water balance, what helps with controlling blood pressure. But if, so, if we have an increase in cortisol, one of the main things that happens is we, we have make waking, and it's mostly around the midsection and the upper back. Um, and we'll have some waking around the face. We might have acne, some. Uh, um, you might be bruising easily, you might slow heal or heal slowly, you might uh, get some muscle weakness, but a lack of sleep, sleep deprivation will increase cortisol, which will help you gain weight. Another thing that happens when you don't get enough sleep is your body starts to inhibit metabolizing carbohydrates. So we're not gonna metabolize our carbohydrates as well, and it causes cravings. So there are times when we take a look at someone's nutrition journal and they're trying to lose fat and we see that they're doing a lot of the things correctly. They're exercising, they're eating the foods in the way that we like them to eat them with the right um, combinations, the right times, the right amounts, they're drinking enough water. And then we take a look and we say, how come we're not making any changes? Well, it comes down to the fact that we're not getting enough sleep. Our sleep is interrupted. We're getting four or five hours. We're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep. So although we're doing all these other things correctly, we're not doing what we really need to be doing, and that is getting enough sleep so that we metabolize those carbohydrates, so that we don't get those cravings and things like that. So sleep is extremely important in the process of fat loss. And for men, we're always looking for ways to increase our testosterone. We don't need to be taking pills or things like that. If you increase the sleep, if you're getting enough sleep, it's going to help maintain your testosterone and it's going to help your carb metabolizing. So men, make sure you get enough sleep out there. Another little tidbit, something that you can do when you're working out. What I want you to do right now is just take your hand, okay, and notice how your muscles feel in your shoulder and your back. You don't really feel anything. I want you to squeeze your hand nice and hard. And when you do that, you will feel all the muscles up your arm into your shoulder and your back will all of a sudden be activated or they'll get engaged or they'll tighten up. 
That's really important. So we're squeezing something to engage the muscles that we're trying to work and then engage the muscles we're trying to stabilize. There's so many muscles that are involved with stabilizing the body, not just the core muscles. And when you squeeze like that, it helps stabilize and strengthen your rotator cuff muscles. You have so many people with rotator cuff problems. It has a lot to do with our posture, but it also has to do with, you know, not keeping those muscles nice and strong. So what I want you to think about is when you lift weights, when you do your resistance training, even if you're on a machine, you want to make sure that you're gripping and holding nice and tight, okay? So squeeze tight, engage those muscles, activate those muscles, and get them involved in the exercise. Just don't let the weights just hang out in your hands or have an open palm with your exercises. Oh, we're going to go back up to nutrition for a second here. I forgot about this one point on nutrition. It, take, it takes five days to feel the effects of poor nutrition. Certainly, if you eat like garbage, you might feel it the next day, but the true effects of nutrition in your body and how your cells are reutilizing those nutrients, it takes up to five days for that. So if you have a meet coming up, you're going to run a race, you have some kind of competition going on, you won't want to just make sure that your nutrition is good for that couple of days before. You want to make sure your nutrition is good all the time, at least a week out from the event to make sure that you'll be able to perform the way you want to perform. Another item that came up is um, to stop foam rolling the IT bands. What is an IT band? IT band is the fascia that runs along the outside of your leg from your knee all the way up to your hip. It's a very thick and strong fascia. So we've we have always felt it's super important to foam roll or do some myofascial release, whether it's with a stick or a lacrosse ball or a foam roller to help the density of the muscle. So we think about this, if your muscle is a shoelace and you have a knot in the shoelace and you go to pull each end of that shoelace, the knot gets tighter. The same is true with your muscle. If you have a knot or a trigger point in your muscle and you go to exercise and we go to strengthen that muscle, that knot is just gonna get tight and tighter, it's gonna hurt more and it's, and it's gonna eventually affect the performance of your body and could lead to injuries down the road. So you want to try to get rid of those those trigger points, those knots, whatever they may, whatever you want to call them. To do that, we do some self-myofascial release. And for years now, we've rolled the outside of the thigh, the IT band, and, and that hurts, generally hurts, especially on women, because of what's called the Q angle. The Q angle is the angle of the femur or the top of your thigh and the pelvis is different on a woman. It's a different angle on a woman, thus causing that IT band to get tighter. And over time, we have seen that the IT band area gets hurts less from foam rolling. But in essence, what we were doing where we were rolling the fascia on each side of the IT band. Because what they did in these studies were they took a, an IT band, an actual IT band, they held it on each end, and they put some weight in the middle and let them sit the weight on there for days. And when they took the weight off, the IT band went right back to the length it was before they tried to stretch it. So they were unable to stretch the IT band. They were unable to change the density of that IT band. So us, or people who foam roll the IT band, we are not going to change the density of that IT band. So you no longer need to do it. 
So you can take that out of your workout. But what I would urge you to do is make sure that you're rolling or doing some type of myofascial release on each side of the IT band, the quad, the front of the thigh, and the back of the thigh, the hamstring region. And I think you'll see that you'll get the same results without having to spend time rolling your IT bands. And finally, something that we stress here all the time is we talk about breathing constantly. We talk about breathing prior to our workouts. We talk about breathing during our workouts. We talk about breathing as we're performing an exercise. We start all our exercises, pardon me, we start all our exercise workouts with some diaphragmatic breathing. What we want to do is we want to make sure that the diaphragm is working correctly, that we're breathing correctly, we're getting the correct oxygen and nutrients into the muscles when we do our exercises. So it's not just breathing, breathing, okay? It's, it's concentrating on using the diaphragm, not filling the chest, but filling the lungs with our, with, with our breaths. So you want to take five deep diaphragmatic breaths, okay, to set the deep core muscles up. And you want to try to exhale for five seconds. So you want to do a nice long exhale. And when you inhale, you should actually feel the muscles expanding, not just your, the stomach expanding, but out to the side and to the back. The full cavity should expand in all directions. And to make sure that you're engaging and activating those deep core muscles so you working the core correctly and to maximize the core muscles, you want to exhale for five seconds to get that true core activation. And when we think about the core, we like to use this example because people really don't know how to engage their core. They're going to tighten the core. So what do you think about when you tighten your core? Some people push their stomachs out. Some people pull their stomachs in. The way that we teach it, in a way for people to understand how it feels to engage the core and tighten your core, because your core should be tight like a cylinder, it should not move, so it can transfer that power from the lower body to the upper body, or stop twisting and turning, is we want to think about blowing through pursed lips. So when we start an exercise, we want to in through, inhale through our nose, and then exhale as if we're blowing out a hundred birthday candles. So if you try that right now, just blow out really hard, like you're blowing out a hundred birthday candles, which we hope everyone gets to. You can feel how everything tightens up in your core, nice and stiff. So that's a cue that we like to use when we challenge someone to get into a plank or start an exercise to to exhale when they're going to exert hard, like we're blowing out a bunch of candles. And that external cue is what will turn the body on, will turn the core on, rather than having to think about it. If you hear people play tennis, this is a good example of it, when people play tennis, they'll, they'll grunt. And when they grunt, they're exhaling hard, and that's what helps them tighten that core up so the body performs they want it to perform. So it, it, it transfers those forces through their body like they want it to. So think about taking five breaths deep, diaphragmatic breaths at the beginning of your workout. Exhale really long, five seconds to get that core guard started, and uh, you will find a difference in your workouts. So there are just some things that came out of that summit, some things that we have started to implement in our 
uh, coaching center right away. It's going to make give us uh, an edge. It will help us get better results. It will help us do the things that we want to do in life to live longer and live better. So if you have any questions on any of that, shoot me out a message here on Facebook. I'd be happy to answer it for you. And uh, you can look for us again next week, next Tuesday at 3.30, for more insight on how to get fit, feel younger, and live better. Thanks for watching.